Welcome to Season 6 of American Political History, The Institution of Slavery, Triangle Trade. In 1463, the Ottoman Empire conquered Bosnia. This abruptly cut off the Mediterranean powers from the critical slave trade routes in what is today Ukraine and the Caucasus. This helped push the exploration of alternative routes to Asia around the Ottoman Empire. The Portuguese had started investing in explorations south around Africa as early as 1441, when a ship commanded by Antum Goncalves returned to Lisbon from West Africa with gifts for Prince Henry the Navigator. Included in these gifts were navigation charts, leads on gold training with African nations, and token trade goods. What would eventually become consequential was a few African slaves, which initially proved of little value to the Portuguese until the Ottomans later cut off slave trade routes to Eastern Europe. Prince Henry sought to spread the reach of the kingdom southward. The prince would start gathering all of the best maps, sea current charts, and ship captain's logs of voyages around the African coast. He funded the design of new ships, which were specifically designed for long expedition voyages. He paid high prices for modern astrological science from the Arabs. We know this today as longitude and latitude-based navigation. He purchased Chinese navigation devices, which were re-engineered for mass production into the Portuguese fleet. With all of the best technology that could be gathered, the Portuguese explorers ventured further and further down the coast of Africa. Fortunes awaited the crown and the company that first discovered new trade routes to Asia. Portugal financed these expedition missions through trade with African coastal nations. Slaves were only at first a commodity and not a particularly important one. European markets were limited in scope to mostly domestic slaves, which was not a large enough demand to support a profitable slave trade network with Africa. Real profits were to be found with the trade of luxury goods like silks, spices, ivory, rare skins, and ostrich feathers and, as always, by acquiring gold itself. But West Africa had a surplus of slaves, and the Portuguese ended up with more slaves than they could sell in Europe. Entrepreneurial Portuguese merchants experimented with what to do with these slaves. They discussed with the African merchants, who informed them that they could use the slaves to grow sugar crops or other cash crops for trade. So the Portuguese started developing sugar plantations on the coastal islands that they were acquiring through exploration. First, the Erzos, which were west of Spain in the middle of the Atlantic. Then the Canary Islands off the coast of Morocco. Cape Verde Islands off the coast of Senegal in West Africa today. And Sao Tome, which is an island located off the coast of Nigeria. By 1481, the Portuguese had erected their first forts in Elmina, modern-day Guiana. It was both a waypoint around Africa and a fort to facilitate trade with the locals. This fort had 30-foot-tall walls with 400 cannons all jutting out to sea to protect the Portuguese fort from other European nations. The fort's dungeons were designed to hold a thousand slaves awaiting transport. By 1491, the Portuguese had reached the people of the Congo bringing tools for trade and luxury goods for their kings. They baptized the Bantu kings and presented them with terms of an alliance with Portugal on equal terms. By the end of the 15th century, the Portuguese had passed the Cape of Good Hope and opened navigable sea lanes in East Africa and Asia. 
But after Christopher Columbus's voyage, Portuguese started their own Atlantic voyages in hopes of finding new trade routes to Asia to the west. They discovered Brazil in 1500. This was the era of Spanish and Portuguese competition. To prevent war, which could or would be caused by this competition between the two great Catholic powers, and to make sure the new discoveries remained the dominion of Catholics, remember this is the height of the war between Protestants and Catholics, the Pope declared that the new world would be split into two spheres of influence. West of the Azores would be Spanish dominion, and everything east would be left for the Portuguese. The trade networks between the West Africans and Portuguese was focused at first on raw materials, but as the Caribbean plantations started growing sugar in the large plantation method, the European demand for slave labor surged. The growth of the transatlantic slave trade provided benefits to both African elites and European merchants. Senegambia grew into a powerful nation with the consolidation of Asante and Dahomey. The African coastal nations positioned the slave trade so that each European power was warring against each other for access to African ports and patronage from African elites. The Europeans were weak to tropical diseases and climate. They struggled to maintain large numbers in the African climate until, over a generation or two, they seasoned to the climate. European powers would rent land on which they built their coastal forts. Once the forts were established, European merchants would sail south with ships filled with finished goods. Timing their arrival with the end of the harvest season in Africa, when African elites would be looking to sell off surplus slaves. The European merchants would load their ships with slaves and sail toward the Caribbean, where they would sell their slaves in return for goods like sugar, tobacco, and other cash crops grown in the New World. Then they would sail back to Europe, completing the Atlantic tour in what would become known as Triangle Trade. As the American and Caribbean colonies developed, their demand for slaves further and further increased. The Caribbean islands had natural limitations on the amount of land. But as North America and the Brazilian colonies developed with their vast open lands, the demand for slave labor from African sources soared. The New World had an almost insatiable thirst for African slaves. A whole economic infrastructure started to develop around the triangle trade in the Atlantic. A leg of finished goods, a leg of slaves, and a leg of raw crops. But this increasing investment in the slave trade in Africa created subtle degradations of African power that would show up over centuries. Just like the times of the other great slave powers, the people and nations on the periphery had incentives to war, creating wealth through enslavement, but also creating an arms race between nations. Over time, Africa would be purchasing singular-use goods like arms, weapons, and tools, while the colonies and European powers were acquiring perpetually productive slaves. This creates disparities of wealth over time. Much like the land exchanges with the natives of America, where the purchase price was initially equal, the purchase of slaves was initially an equal economic exchange, but one culture was procuring investment resources which would be used into perpetuity, while the other culture was buying single-use items which had to be purchased again and again. But we cannot forget, for generations, the transatlantic slave trade 
made the West African elites and the nations they ruled fabulously wealthy. Often, and for more than a century, West African kings would have more individual income than the kings of Europe. Thank you for listening to this episode of American Political History. If you want to support the show, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating and share this show with someone you think would enjoy listening. Thank you again, and until next time.